Welcome to Time to Say Goodbye. It's May 31st, Sunday. Uh, I'm here with Tammy and Andy, my two co-hosts, and uh, we're going to just get right into this this week. If, if you've never listened to the show before, um, it's something that Tammy, Andy, and I thought of because we were having a very hard time trying to find the type of voice and advocacy that we wanted, you know, and that, that we saw that we were very frustrated as being people who are Asian, you know, like <laughs> we are 100% <laughs> definitely from Asia. Uh, I was born in Asia. Andy, were you born in Asia? No. No, Anna's born one year, in the United one year States. After, my parents moved the year before. Tammy, were you born in the United States? I was born in You're Korea. You were born in Korea. So Tammy and I are real immigrants, and Andy is a, <laughs> <laughs> Andy's an ABC. Um, we were having, we're, we've always had trouble trying to find a voice that we are not uh, annoyed by. And I think annoyed is the right word because I think in the long run, we do, you know, like we do support other people, you know, other Asians in their attempts to try and figure out how to navigate what is a tricky identity. But for us, I think the three of us, the one thing that we all agreed on, we certainly don't agree on everything, is that we should just get rid of the, the neurosis around identity entirely. You know, that we should think about it, we should talk about it, we should make friendships based on it. But when it comes to politics, it should not be an encumbrance. And it oftentimes feels like an encumbrance. And so um, if you came to the show because you read a post about how, uh, you know, this the way in which people were responding to the George Floyd murder and the fact that one of the cops was Asian, then, you know, like that that's the type of thing that we like to talk about here on the show, which is like, I don't know. Like sometimes after I wrote that thing, I kind of thought like, well, maybe I imagined this, but like, was it, like, but I do think there was a lot of it, right? There was a whole lot of people <laughs> being like, I disavow this this guy, you know, I disavow this cop, even though because because he's Asian mm-hmm. and I'm Asian, and uh, you know, mm-hmm. he does not stand for me, that type of thing. Did you see a lot of that? I did, and I don't really understand it. And I thought your post did a good job of of trying to get underneath what exactly is going on. I was noticing also during the protest this week some signs like mm. Asian peril stands with a oh, yellow you know, peril stands with black power, yeah, which power, is a famous old like sign the from old like the sixties slogan yeah, yeah. from the sixties. And then there was also one that was like Asians for Black Lives. And you know, I I'm so glad that they were at the protest, but I don't really understand the sign. Because I, I then it just makes me feel like, oh, I need to go look at who you are. Yeah. And it's it just seemed weird to me. And I don't understand that impulse and this constant, you know, hand wringing over, oh, this cop was Asian and therefore I need to say something about it. Well, I think what you should be saying is that we need to abolish the police and that it doesn't matter what <laughs> color the cop is because they're fucked yeah, up. For the, for the listeners, that was in. Uh, I send these things uh, to Tammy and Andy and Tammy's edit was, you should put, you have to put in the phrase, we need to abolish the police into, <laughs> into that. Into the um, and Jay Riley was like, that's not what the post yeah, is yeah, about. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just put a bullet point. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it does seem like, Andy, like, this is something that you and I started, I think this is actually how we became friends and started talking, which is that there is this like neurosis that exists, right? Where it's like, I have to make it about me, you know? And by mm-hmm. saying Asian yeah. Americans for black lives, what have you done? You know, instead of just mm-hmm. saying black lives matter, which is a phrase, right? Which is a mm-hmm. statement you have said, <laughs> I too believe that mm-hmm. black yeah. lives matter. Yeah. And yeah. isn't right, that right. unexpected? Like, aren't you surprised that I as an Asian American also think that black lives matter? 
And in that way, it becomes transactional, you know? And that's that's a part mm. that's always bothered yeah. me. We're just like, oh, I'm one of the good ones, you know? Like, and, right, and right, so right. then, I don't know, like when you say that when, when it is transactional, then like, what is what are you trying to get? I don't know, Andy, like, what are these people trying to get? Or uh, another way to frame it is just you know, answer the like, question. Uh, just what are these people trying to get? <laughs> the, well, what they're trying, they're trying to kind of uh, defend themselves in accus- against an accusation. Yeah. Before it's like a, it's like original sin, right? They have to like do good works to get into heaven. They they start from a pro- from a premise of being in the negative. Um, and the accusation is what? Well, Asians are racist yeah. too. Basically, as long well, yeah, exactly. And, mm-hmm. and you, I saw you know people say this all the time on social media. If you're being silent now, we're noticing that you're being silent and, you know, like we're taking your name down or something. Like we, we noticed that you haven't said Black Lives Matter yet or, or you, something like that. Um, yeah, I think it's a lot of, yeah, I think it's a lot about kind of shoring up their own personal standing, especially the people who feel they need to say would be the um, people who have a platform. Because like nobody cares if I, if I say it, right? I'm just a lowly assistant professor at some university. But if you're like a best-selling <laughs> author with like, you know, a blue check mark like you guys, uh, the people... Best-selling. Will... <laughs> well, I think you guys. disappointing <laughs> sales would be the way that, that my first book would be characterized. <laughs> uh, not, um, uh, no, I know, I, I know you, what you mean, right? It's the yeah, que- yeah, we know who we're talking about. Too, <laughs> but, it's a know, question uh, of like, can we, uh, like, are we going to have I dug myself out of the hole that I think everybody is assuming that I'm in, you know? Mm-hmm. And then <laughs> I always wanted to put my arm around them and just be like, look, dude, nobody thinks that you're a racist, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, you don't have to do this. And then, but the only time I think you're racist is when you make all this stuff about you, you know? And it, it's, it feels very <laughs> reflexive and perfunctory at this point, right? Like, it is mm-hmm. part of the penance that you have to take. I think, Andy, that was a good way to put it, which is that, like, it is a... You know, it's a negative. Uh, you feel like you're it's in the negative, and you need to climb yourself mm-hmm. out, and then you can start talking, right? Like if you can say these five words, then then you have a voice. But if you don't say the five words, then you don't have a voice. But I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I I don't. I wish that that. It, and do you? I don't know, Tammy. Do you think it's generational? This is something that you and I talk about quite a bit. I think because like we're you and I have both been in these protests, right? I saw a ton of Asian kids in Oakland, right? Not a ton, but a lot. And they did not seem that uh, engaged in that type of neurosis, you know? Like, they're just, like, (laughs) there's one sign that said, like, stand together or something like that in Chinese characters. But Mm -hmm. all the other kids are just, like, Mm -hmm. they're friends with, like, Latino kids. They're friends with black kids. And they're they're there. Um, Do you think it's a generational thing? Like, this sort of, I must cleanse myself before I can speak on race? I think it's a public intellectual faux public intellectual thing. So it's not it, it, <laughs> because on as we've di- on the streets it doesn't matter, yeah. right? So it's on it's on Twitter that it gets said. And the place where I think where it might make a little bit more sense to make those sort of proclamations is if you're actually speaking for an Asian organization. Yeah. Like I get that because you're doing a sort of you're doing right. a broader coalition work, and that's just what you need to do as a spokesperson. But as an individual, it's just like. I don't know. You mean you're still probably on someone's like list. <laughs> you mean if if you're speaking for an organization that makes anti-racism its like number one platform item, right? Then it becomes yeah, extra glaring. Like, sure. Yeah. Or yeah. So you know when there are instances. Well, like in New York, of course, there was famously a case where Peter Liang, mm-hmm. a Chinese American cop, 
killed a young black person, Kai Gurley. And there were Chinese organizations who organized poor and working class Chinese immigrants here who spoke out to say, like, we're doing this organizing in solidarity. And, you know, we want to also correct for anti-blackness in our communities. And I think that actually makes sense because there that is like a gesture of organizing that has a point. Uh, and that's very different than somebody, as you said, the blue check mark, you know, saying that for themselves as this kind of like rosary. Yeah, and it's like, it's also like this weird, uh, you know, not to, not to pathologize this so much, but like there is this sense of it that I get when I see it where I'm like, oh, you are really worried that, um, that people are going to say that Asian communities are anti-Black, right? And I think, Tammy, mm-hmm. at least you and I yeah. within the Korean community, I think we can very confidently say that the Korean community on the whole is anti-Black. You know, like it's not a, mm-hmm. it's not a secret. Oh, we all know, you know, yeah. we all know cousins, yeah. aunts, whatever. You know, like it, the, the, the criticism is true. But if you are saying... Mm-hmm. That this again, this is one of these like strange contradictions that I find like within these types of penance situations, where like if you're saying that uh, we must acknowledge anti-blackness within the Korean community, you know, like you're just disavowing. Mm -hmm. First of all, you're distancing yourself from your own community, you know, but you're also saying like there are people like me who are not like that, you know, and and that's that to me is where you are basically valorizing yourself. You know, it is a it is a way to distance yourself from like poor people, right? And it is a because the the communities that they're talking about are generally, you know, poor. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think that that's part of what's at play here. Tammy, you okay. t- uh, you just came from a came from a protest huh, in in New York. I did. Yeah. Yesterday and today we were all out there and today's was especially long and especially hot. Well, where, Um, where was it? But good. I went to the one in Brooklyn, but there were others in Manhattan and elsewhere. And, um, yeah, we marched from, if people know New York, the Southeast corner of Prospect Park, uh, we rallied there and then we kind of marched into the Flatbush area and back around. And yesterday's was in, uh, like a Barclays center, right? Yeah, yesterday's was was near this stadium named after Barclays. So in the shadow of Capitol, <laughs> we were at a a pretty um, violent confrontation with the police. I, I like all the things uh, today. The police stood down a bit. I like the things that we all uh, ha- feel like we have to explain to the listenership, where you feel like Barclays Center is needed, <laughs> um, but then you'll you and Andy will breeze right through like third level Marxist theory, where I'm just like, <laughs> okay, guys, who is Karl Marx? <laughs> <laughs> you, uh, what happened? You know, what if uh, doesn't communism make everybody equally poor? And then you guys are like, what are you talking about? Um, yeah. So yesterday, let, let's start with yesterday then, because you know what we did want to talk about on the show today was actions. Um, we wanted to talk about some of the protests going around the country uh, and the way that we feel like people can engage and maybe even should engage. Although I don't think we'd ever be so prescriptive. So Tammy, like, what what happened yesterday? Because I know that the Barclays Center. Uh, got a lot of attention. Yeah, so it's been a little bit chaotic, um, I think, in the the kind of reaction to the killing of George Floyd. And I think around the country, people are trying to mobilize in the midst of this pandemic. What does that even look like when we've been sitting with ourselves for so many months? And um, yesterday, 
I can't even remember how I first found out about it. I think a couple of different activist friends said, oh, there's going to be a convening outside of Barclays Center. So I showed up and it wasn't maybe the most organized. It was an expression of rage. There was a lot of raw emotion there. And uh, the police were very agitated and exhausted and they caused a lot of conflict and then cracked down on people. Well, we, um, so like, what what's the difference then? I think that is something we should talk about. Like, so you and I yeah. have both, I think, been to our share of, of these things, right? And there are different feels, I think, to all of them in mm-hmm. India as well. And, you know, some of them you go and it's people walking around in a circle and people are angry. And mm-hmm. then some of them you go and you listen to 70 minutes of speeches and after minute 20, you're like, wow, another person is coming up to talk. And so those, <laughs> yeah. those are the polls, right? Like one of them is kind of like going to Korean church, which, you know, where, where, where every single, you know, every single deacon gives like a 35 minute speech and you're just like, I, I don't. And then you look at the program, you're like, oh my God, I'm just going to go home. Um, but, uh, you know, you, last night from, from hearing from you, but also from other people there, it seemed like it was former, mm-hmm. right? Like it was sort of a walking around in circles and there's no leadership. Is, is that right? I couldn't even see, honestly, what was happening. There wasn't walking. It was um, just a rally. Like we were all in place. So the physical kind of design of it was difficult because of the the way that the stadium and that particular intersection are structured we were all kind of crammed in there was no social distancing which fine that's fine I think that's like kind of out the window at a lot of these protests and I don't know that that's such a bad thing at this point um but uh yeah so there were a couple of people I think at the front kind of doing calls and giving a little bit of a spiel around Black Lives Matter I honestly couldn't hear that much of of what they were saying but it sort of didn't matter because we knew why we were there and then in each of our little circles, we were doing different things. Like I happened to be standing next to this woman who had a bunch of water and milk. And, you know, I think milk is maybe not effective for everyone who's being maced, but the cops were very, very prodigious with their use of mace last night. So there were a lot of people rushing across the street to get help. There was like a medic station. There were different like little help stations. And, okay, and then so we had our seemed, own chance. That seems partially organized, so. at least. Yeah, I bet it was spontaneous. Like, there was no sort of leader. Everyone just had an idea. Like, the woman I was standing next to just, like, went shopping beforehand <laughs> and had, like, a cart full of milk and water, you know? Yeah. So, um, so I don't know. And then, you know, on the w- walk back home, uh, a lot of the protesters decided to come through Fort Green Park, which is very close to where I live. And there was one incident where police had knocked a girl off her bike and injured her very badly. And there was a ton of rage, uh, funny enough, across from an extremely expensive cocktail bar that has repurposed (laughs) its business into like street cocktails that cost like $15. (laughs) So there was a line of white people waiting for that while like all these young black people (laughs) were screaming across the street. It was very uh, Brooklyn gentrification confrontation. Um, Anyway, and so I got home and they torched a, a cop van. Yeah. An NYPD man park, a few right? minutes later, right outside the park. Yeah. So, you know, and then this morning they use the ashes to scrawl Black Lives Matter on the streets. So, yeah, you know, right next to the farmer's market. There's a lot of cool stuff going next on. Next to the farmer's yeah, market, I saw. Next to the farmer's market <laughs> where you can buy like $40 mushrooms. So I feel like, you know, people make are mad about rage. I'm not so mad about rage. I'm okay with rage. Yeah, well, yeah. I, it seemed like yesterday, from what I could see, that there's, like, some isolated incidents of, uh, not not even isolated, but, like, 
it seemed like the cops were angrier than I've ever seen at a yeah. uh, New York City protest. And I don't know, I, I, maybe I've been like 15 or something like that, where, um, you know, centering around Black Lives Matter starting in 2014, mm-hmm. 2015. 14. And um, I just... And this, I think, is the difference maybe between going to one and seeing one through video clips. But, like, I've just Mm. never seen cops in New York City, like, just advancing with the same aggression as they were last night. Generally, they just basically try and push you towards the bridge, which is what I thought was going to happen. It's like, oh, they're going to Barclays Center. They're going to just push them up Flatbush. And, you know, if there's, like, some people they want to get rid of, they're just going to push them on the Manhattan Bridge until they calm down, you know, which is what they would generally do. But it seemed like, you know, they were just walking and shoving people out of the way. And, you know, like, uh, I saw them tackling people onto, like, gates and things like that. It was just... Totally. It was a little bit surreal to see. Was Was it that wild or was it something that I was only seeing through video? It was pretty wild. I've never, like, hmm. we were a couple feet away from a cop who punched someone because they were, you know, cursing out the cop. Hmm. There were cops who were using their batons, like, very liberally tackling people for really unclear reasons and sort of doing this thing where they would kind of herd you into one area that you weren't really even, no one was, like, making trouble. And then they would herd you into another area. So there was, like, a kind of series of provocations, but they themselves seemed confused about what they were doing. Yeah. And they all just looked tired and frustrated. And, you know, I mean, I'm, I have very little sympathy for the police, but it was clear that there was a lot of hot energy on the streets, like in all directions. And they, it was much worse than I've seen at other protests as well, like over my, whatever, 20 years of living here. Yeah. What about, what about, what about today? Today they stood down a bit. I think like they got so much flack from yesterday Hopefully, this is what I'm thinking. And also, you know, the protest started today at three. So it wasn't yet dark when I left, which was 730. And I left actually when um, the protest transformed into a sit-in to block the intersection. So that was an organized arrest Mm -hmm. action. And I'm good with that, but I didn't know it was happening and I wasn't ready to be arrested because, you know, we have to do the podcast. So (laughs) first things first. Yeah, I found that, you know, the last, let's see, before I moved, I went to one that was around, uh, you know, the detent child, children in cages, right? And um, Mm, there was, you know, at some point the sit across the West Side Highway and the cops scoop you up and you do a planned arrest. They don't get mad about that. They almost think it's funny, you know, because yeah. it's also planned. And generally beforehand, the organizer gives a little wink, a little like nudge right. to the cop in a way so that nobody gets hurt, totally. you know, because that's what they're most concerned about. And you can argue whether that's yeah. good or bad, but it's generally the norm. And so when I was seeing this, the videos today, I was like, oh, they have people talking. They're reminding people why they're there. Mm-hmm. You know, they're talking yeah. about... Trayvon Martin, they're talking about Sandra Bland, they're talking about the things that you generally hear that are good for people to remind them, you know, we're not just here in this moment to break stuff and to destroy things, but there is like a, there is some stuff that you need to remember. Um, And again, you can argue whether that's good or whether that's bad, but you know, that's generally how things happen. And and the cops generally know how to deal with that. Last night just seemed Mm -hmm. a little bit different than that, you know, and it almost felt like by putting out by lining up in such big numbers outside of Barclays that they're almost provoking people totally. to come down Totally, that's there. how it felt to me. Um, yeah. Yeah. Tammy, but, ta- sorry, one quick question. Tammy, you mentioned the juxtaposition of the 
white customers at the cocktail bar versus the black protesters. <laughs> what was the demographic? What was the composition of the protesters? Yeah, no, I, I'm, it was, that was such a striking like moment, but I think generally speaking, it was very, very like, there was just every kind of person there. Okay. It was very representative of Brooklyn and of the kinds of people who are affected by policing and people who aren't affected as much by policing. I felt there's been, I, we'll talk about this, I'm sure, because I know you guys have a lot of thoughts on it, mm-hmm. but this whole thing around, you know, white infiltrators yeah. or white black box you know, um, black block people coming in and making trouble and all this. I did not see that yesterday or today. I saw like a very united and committed community. And, you know, I think people who are skeptical or weirded out by it just need to take a look at it. It's not about going to protest with people that you want to get drinks with. Mm-hmm. Like, I probably wouldn't like half the people there. Mm-hmm in like my free time but you know i think um it was a representative group and people really believed in what they were doing out there yeah so i went to one last night in oakland and tammy it was very similar you know like beforehand i had somebody that i went with had told me hey this thing might not be real you know and i was like what does that mean Mm -hmm. like you know that and yeah uh and it turned out that you know that sort of caution was 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 you know it was one that I think was right in some sort of way, which is that Oakland has very, very embedded and longstanding protest communities. And uh, Mm -hmm. none of those people knew what this thing was. And if you traced it, you go back to one Instagram post that got passed around a lot, you know, and they said at eight o'clock at uh, Oscar Grant Square, which is in downtown Mm -hmm. Oakland, you should come down here. And uh, there's a image of a man torching an auto zone or something like that. Right. And so automatically Mm. you're a little bit on alert. Um, and the protest community is not going to ever stop in action. Right. But I think they were putting out a lot of messaging saying, we don't know what this thing is. And the sense that I got and, you know, from talking to you about it as well. And, um, is that maybe it was going to be a lot of the types of people who you saw at Occupy Oakland, you know, like sort of the quote unquote mm-hmm. Antifa or anarchist. We can talk about how those categories are yeah. silly as well. Yeah. But that some people have basically put out an Instagram ad hoping that people would come down there and that if there's like a mm-hmm. few thousand people down there then they would provoke something from the cops and then they could go and smash a bunch of stuff. Right. So that's the big fear that gotcha. you have. Yeah. Like that's like a quote unquote bad protest um, if you're within that protest community, because you have no mm-hmm. way of getting people aid there's no like structure to get people to keep people safe especially right now given you know that we're in a mm-hmm. pandemic i don't think i you know it was actually like in some ways cathartic for me after two and a half months to just stand in front of a bunch of people i was like look I, if i'm gonna get coronavirus i'm gonna get it here <laughs> you know this is like the most super <laughs> totally. spreadery event of, like, that i could even imagine i can't imagine doing anything more than going to like a <laughs> big soccer game and screaming the whole time you know so um <laughs> But that's yeah, what it was. Right. You know, we got there. There was no leadership. Nobody knew even where to walk, you know? So, like, you have, like, some random mm. dude who might have been a cop or something like that telling you to go down this way. And then you walk in a circle and you go back this way. And then uh, <laughs> and then you go back to the s- central square and then nobody talks and people just do, like, chants and, and, you know, like, literally stand around. And then you walk back. <laughs> and then at some point, you know, the f- cops fire off flashbangs and tear gas and then that's when like people start to 
tag things. That's what mostly what I was seeing is like people tagging a you know ACAB and stuff like that. And then yeah. I'm sure everyone has seen the videos from Oakland where things got much more you know uh, intense. Not I don't even intense yeah. right word, but you know you, I saw a lot of young people. Um, you know I, I'd say young people is you know I don't want to narc them out, but they're young people. <laughs> you know there weren't many seven year olds <laughs> smashing skateboards into the side of a Pete's <laughs> of a Pete's coffee shop. Pete's <laughs> coffee, <laughs> um, but. I don't know. You know, I thought about it when I got home because I was a little bit mad driving home. You know, I was like, oh, man, that was that was bad. You know, like it was it was it's just mayhem and or just just destruction. And and, and we kind of got I just felt like we had gotten tricked, you know, but mm. I see. at the same time, you know, um, it's very hard to distinguish those things. And I think that distinguishing between them generally means that you're going to be pushing out a lot of people who would be yeah. at the next yeah. protest for sure. So, um, What kinds of messaging did you hear none. in the first part of it? Nobody None's said anything. Like, I've never been to like, There's another one. It was like, I don't think I've been to a protest like that where there's not even like a, hey, thank you for coming, you know? It's just people <laughs> milling around. And then at some point we walked down one way and then we walked down the other way, you know? And then we walked down, this up, down through Chinatown and then they got to police headquarters and then the cops were extremely impatient, actually, because I was, I was actually, like, getting ready for... You know how when you go to these things, and it's kind of boring because they, are, <laughs> they like, fire off flashbangs, and everyone gets a little scared, and then they don't want to keep pushing. And so then, like, 30 minutes pass, and then somebody gets, you know, someone gets wild and pushes back in, and then they fire some more flashbangs. And then, uh, it go- and then two hours later, they fire tear gas, and you're just like, okay. Um, and then <laughs> by that point, 80% of the people have gone home. They arrest 10 people, and that's what I thought it was going to be. But um, mm-hmm. Is there another one scheduled, like tomorrow or Monday in Oakland? Or yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, they have a car one and a mutual aid one. Um, but What does the car one look like? Is it blocking traffic? I don't know. You, they call okay. it a car caravan. Um, it's tomorrow. Uh, okay. And you have to okay. you go drive somewhere, and then I think they tell you what to do. Um, but obviously, mm-hmm. one of the things that I want to ask you about, Tammy, and just thought was interesting is that so much of the way that things are dictated through the protest community is around safety and responsibility for the people within that community, not just within the protest community, but within the black and brown communities in Oakland. And they're very worried about coronavirus because of the disproportionate effect. Mm. And so I think that part of the right. reason why things got this sort of void was open for these kids to do this, you know, was because they hadn't planned anything yet, you know, because they were trying to be as careful as possible. Like is, do you do you see mm-hmm. sense any of that in New York in the in the protest community? Like are, is coronavirus like a big thing that they're worried about? I think there's definitely a sensitivity to it, but I haven't seen it over super overemphasized. Um, there are kind of similar to what I saw at Occupy Wall Street, because I was involved mostly in immigrant rights organizing during that time. And our kind of Wall, like Occupy Wall Street subgroup, um, we had a lot of undocumented people. And so we were always strategizing around like, okay, who are the most vulnerable people? And if we have an escalation of actions, what are the things that people can or cannot participate in? And so to that extent, yeah, I do think there's some thinking around, okay, what can 
the, the kind of strongest, healthiest people do versus the people who are like immunocompromised. They shouldn't be showing up for this sort of thing. And there are different ways for people to plug in. But I don't think we're like, I don't know that in this kind of George Floyd reaction moment, we're at that stage of organization yet. I mean, maybe I'm sure there are people who are way more involved in it than I am. I'm just in someone who's attending who are kind of thinking through these questions, but it hasn't been so broadcast and organized to the point where it's reached people like me. Mm. But I think we, we might be getting there. I mean, I'm hoping we're going to be in the streets every day. Like I want to spend my pandemic this way. <laughs> I think this is like, We've all been talking. I mean, this is why the three of us started this program, because we're like, this is a moment that feels in need of revolution. I mean, what does that look like? We, You never know what the trigger is for social change yeah. and for protest culture. And is it, th- wow, I didn't know it was going to be black murders, mm-hmm. you know, but it is. And so I feel like we, it's a good moment to react to it. I, I was touched yesterday and today also by hearing a lot more critiques of like capitalism than I did in I would say like the first, you know, stage of, of Black Lives Matter in 2014, 2015, when I went to those protests is very much about state violence and state terror. And that's never disconnected from capitalism. But I feel like right now with the pandemic and all the shit that we've been going through with housing and all of the organizing against economic oppression, it's much more at the front of people's minds. And that's very exciting to me that there's more of this kind of connection being made. I don't know if you guys. I don't know if you guys are seeing that in your friends and like Andy and well, Philly. I know you couldn't get out because of your family, but yeah, just you listen, know, what are you hearing? Well, just listening to you guys talk about this, it is striking to me that I think a lot of what is happening is people are really frustrated for the last two mo- about the last two months yeah. and George Floyd. Like when I saw the video, I'm sure we all saw the video. Uh, you know, it was sickening and 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 you have all these emotions, but you couldn't have predicted that it was going to cause, um, it was going to lead to protests in like every city in the United States. Yeah. And so I started asking myself last night when it seemed like things were really going serious, at least, you know, just, you know, doom scrolling on, on Twitter. Like, wh- how did it, how did it get to this? And I, I think mm-hmm. the hypothesis, you know, that, I, that you know, who knows, you know, if we could prove this, was that there is a lot of pent up frustration um, and that, the Floyd murder is sort of the crystallization of something broader. Um, yeah. And I was also thinking, like, is this is this building upon what was happening a few years ago with Black Lives Matter and then Occupy before that? Or is this kind of its own thing? I mean, do you, do you think that's a... I mean, what's the answer to that question? I think now what's striking is that I feel like so many people, even Meghan McCain was saying that murder was bullshit, (laughs) which I feel like six years ago was not possible. I think a lot of people, you know, even Trump has to kind of uh, preface all his his comments by saying that murder was George Floyd, like that was so tragic, blah, blah, blah. Like, I do think that there is an acceptance that uh, the police sometimes act like bullshit for the conservatives and for like people left of center whatsoever. It's all kind of widely accepted at this point. Whereas I think in 14 mm. and 15, including myself, it was kind of eye-opening to see how the police act to cover themselves up, how that officer in Ferguson, I forget his name, Darren you know, Wilson. Kill, killed Mike Brown, right? Yeah. How he like got off and did not, and, and how the, the DA or the prosecutor like, you know, didn't go after him and all that. Um, I, think, I think we've been prepared by Black Lives Matter from five years ago mm. to kind of see this for what it, what, what, what it is, right? Um, 
So I do think that is an accumulative, accumulative effect. Yeah, those, those activists really changed the world, I think. They really changed people's thinking and the framing. Yeah, and they also normalize the idea that people in different cities would go out and protest this thing, you know? Totally. Um, totally. And uh, that that seems to be the legacy. Now, whether or not it's different in terms of people being, you know, I, I think everyone is crazy right now because they've been sitting in their houses and right. a lot of them are, have lost mm-hmm. their jobs and nobody knows what the future is. The world seems extremely scary right now. And, you know, the things that they're seeing are that they're getting robbed basically at every at every point, mm-hmm. you know, they don't trust anything. I don't know, care what your thoughts about coronavirus is. Like, you don't trust something. You know, mm-hmm. one of the things you don't trust, right. you either don't trust that, you know, we need to be <laughs> in lockdown or you don't trust that we should get out of lockdown. You know, like, you don't trust that. <laughs> right. you, don't, you either think that PPP is robbing you or you think that your job is screwed forever, you know? Even if you have money yeah. in the stock market, you're like, this stock market surge is so fake. Like, you're, you're mad about something regardless of where you are. <laughs> and so... Uh, I don't think it was that much of a leap to try and get everybody out. Now, I don't buy the idea that like people are just like, I need to get out of my house somehow. You know, like uh, I am cooped up with a three-year-old too, but it's not my thought about like being like, (laughs) what can I do to not be cooped up with my three-year-old? It's not like, (laughs) I'm going to go to this thing and have a bunch of people breathe all over me. (laughs) (laughs) As much as I enjoy going to podcasts, it's not, yeah. (laughs) It is, there is elements of it that are invigorating, but I would not call it like, you know, I'd rather go watch a baseball yeah. game. Or yeah. Like right. That. This is not recreation. Um, right. Tammy, there's something I wanted to ask you about specifically because it was a, you know, when I looked at what the Oakland response was, right, within the com- protest community, one of them was this car protest. Mm-hmm. I don't know what's going to happen, but it's going to happen on Sunday, <laughs> right? And I, I might go. I might. Okay. I'm not sure if I can get out of the house Hi, at that okay. point. But okay. Um, the other thing that they really focused was on mutual aid, and that's something that you talk about quite a bit. So, like, why, why don't you just tell everybody, like, about, you know, the mutual aid efforts that you're involved in, not in sort of, like, a propagandistic way, but just, I, I don't know, like, I'm just curious <laughs> about how mutual aid is a, is a form of protest. Yeah, sure. And I want to hear more about what you're seeing in Oakland. Um, so, for people who haven't heard the term before, mutual aid is basically just helping one another, but doing it in a way that isn't charity. It's a way of building power and of kind of serving one another. So that actually sounds a little propagandistic against Jesus <laughs> yeah. but um, I guess what I'll say about it, like I was introduced to the concept during Occupy Wall Street, because if people remember during Occupy, maybe you've just read about it, but um, there was like a library, there was a food station. So it was kind of trying to replicate a kind of Black Panther model of having a breakfast program so you could meet people's basic needs because everyone needs their basic needs met before they can engage in politics. And that's just a universal truth about work, about organizing of any kind. Um, and so during the pandemic, we've seen a lot of people in different walks of life and in different levels of political organization and commitment doing mutual aid in small and large settings in our apartment complex. I live in a really big one. So we have 1,200 units and about two to 300 of those are um, occupied by people who are very old, like I would say in their 70s or older. And so we were really concerned about, well, what does that look like during a pandemic? So we had an organizing history because we had housing organizing in our buildings to prevent evictions. So thank goodness we had like a framework and a foundation for that. So, you know, we, sh- we should talk about like what that means because 
I think during, there was been some like New York Times and other mainstream articles about how people who haven't had any political experience are jumping into mutual aid during the pandemic. And I think that's amazing. But I've noticed more that it's also just an outgrowth of existing organizing that, you know, used to look like something else. And now it's been more transformed into kind of meeting people's needs. So we have a system that's very kind of like militarized, very organized, where we have like building captains and like sub captains. Are you a building captain? You know. I'm a building right. captain. Very proud of it. Um, this leads to very to stab, annoying did things, you have though. To stab the the old building captain in the back. Like, was there some sort of power struggle? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You, there was a coup. Him? And after I won, I'm just kidding. It's a job no one wants. But you're yeah, like talking. <laughs> you're talking that. shit about the old building captain to the building super super right, captain. Exactly. Like, listen, you don't know what this guy's been saying behind your back. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I've been he's trying to now transfer my duties. The super captain is bullshit. And he's going to be the next captain. <laughs> <laughs> the next transfer will be bloodless. Um, but yeah, it's been it's been good. So we've been you know doing really simple things like buying groceries for people, or we we fundraised like fourteen thousand dollars in our buildings to help people pay for groceries and medical bills, and if they're behind on rent, so they don't get evicted. Um, and I guess the last thing I'll say about it is I think. For some people, it just feels like charity and they want to do a good job and be a good person. And I think that's awesome. But I think it can also be used to bring people in and to change their minds about like what is really going on. So we also then had like an anti-eviction and housing workshop about like the national rent strikes and about why housing should be a right and it's not okay to not have housing. And, you know, so you can bring people up through this sort of like charity piece. And then hopefully, like, transform their thinking and radicalize them. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that's where, you know, I think the foundation of the mutual aid stuff here in Oakland is similar, right? Because there's such a housing crisis. Yeah, um, and people totally. are talking about uh, the ways in which they can help people who are unhoused, who don't have any, you know, like, who don't actually even have hope for housing, right? Because the rent is so high mm-hmm. and because there's not enough affordable or even public housing here. And... I don't know. I, I think this is the most idealistic thing that I'll say, but it does seem like there needs to be a balance between that sort of stuff, which actually gives people some sort of understanding of how a different world would look. You know, that's a phrase I've seen on social media totally. quite a bit, yeah. um, along with the idea that, you know, you have to smash some stuff and to get to that different yes. world. And so uh, if the world and that that is one thing I do think, you know, I, I, I for a while, I just thought nothing good is going to come out of this thing, you know, out of coronavirus. And uh, yeah. I do think many more people are leaning on those types of things and questioning the things that they used that they're very used to, um, that mm. they no longer want to be a part of, you know, and um, that's great. But I don't know how many people are going to stick with it. Like, or right. myself. That'll be the challenge. Like, should I? Will I just go <laughs> straight back to Outback Steakhouse and <laughs> at least <laughs> at least once we eat some factory farm steak and have like a martini made by somebody who's making minimum wage? I'd be like, all right, I'm ju- I'm just gonna give myself this one time. Listening to you talk just sounds like the communists, the Chinese communists in the twenties <laughs> and thirties. Oh no, they... that didn't go well. <laughs> but their their whole thing was like recruit people by just like basically doing what you were doing, um, just yeah. providing basics and then kind of showing them there's a better way possible. And then, you know, and you know, at, th- at that point, it's still idealistic and in my view, good. So it does seem like it's a viable political model, <laughs> right? I think so. And I think all organizing does 
fundamentally need to work on that level. Like union organizing too, right? Like, of course, it's more than like wages and benefits, but you do need your bread and butter issues also to bring people in. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, I mean, the other th- inter- interesting, interesting thing you were saying was that you feel like there's more, there's more economic stuff happening at these protests. And I think that's something we were, I mean, we were, we're all kind of, we've been talking about is to what extent are these protests going to, this was what was happening in the news today. To what extent are people going to try to contain Mm -hmm. it to simply the death of George Floyd or quote unquote race issues and nothing more than that? Yeah. Or, or, and to what extent do those people who want to contain it find it threatening that other groups? And it seems like um, a lot of people are, um, like a lot of uh, these people on social media are saying this, keep this a black white thing. Um, and mm-hmm. if we, um, the, the white agitators, the anarchists, they are outside um, antagonists or a- outside agitators right. and they are making it to something that it shouldn't be. Um, and this is something that the Minneapolis and St. Paul governments said today, right? that like the majority of the people that they arrested were from yeah. outside of Minnesota, they're outside agitators. And while they sympathize with the protests against George Floyd's death, um, it shouldn't be more than that. And then we have these, a, lot, a few Twitter personalities also kind of echoing that sentiment. Yeah, like, I um, mean, just today. to be more specific, like, yeah. I, I think that um, the question of outside agitators is one that has existed for like, I don't know, maybe 500 years or something like that, right? In terms of, <laughs> yeah, of, exactly. of uh, the way to destabilize and and sort of defuse different types of protest, and this is no different. You know, uh, it's it's mm-hmm. no different to try and and make it seem like it's not about the thing that went wrong that everybody agrees is wrong that most people think is wrong. That actually the things that you see the outpouring of anger about that, and not just people, you know, very prettily holding up signs that go viral, is like that's that actually didn't happen. You yeah, know? it's a way to erase the actual anger and to make it into something that is palatable to an upper middle class sort of uh, type of person who, you know, might be liberal and might think that this is a great cause, but, you know, is very uncomfortable by the, by the site of property destruction. Um, But, you know, the thing that is interesting, Annie, that I thought you brought up that I want to discuss on the show is that, you know, there is a type of, there are all sorts of different types of purity uh, politics, obviously, right? But there is one that seems to be very trenchant amongst the, liberal, uh, you know, the liberal media. And it's this idea that white people should not be at protests except to stand there and, you know, like be silent and to not say anything and to quietly do every single thing that they're told by the organizers, right? And that, um, that there is no way in which any type of violence that happens or any type of or any type of looting that happens if it is done by a white person, that that then just becomes completely unjustified, right? And, like, that that to me is insane. Mm-hmm. Like, it's an insane thing to do, especially at this moment, to just say that that a kid who's, like, I don't know, like, let's say he's, like, 22 years old and got laid off, you know, after going to community college or something like that and is pissed off at Trump, is pissed off at the government, does not see a future for himself feels like he's been lied to all the time and is also really mad about the cops, you know, killing this guy, that that person has no agency outside of respecting yeah. these people um, and doing the, and diligent, you know, sort of dutifully doing everything that that person says. Like, I, I just don't understand how you can even organize a protest community around that, you know? And then obviously when things go wrong, the blame is always placed on the same people, right? It's like Antifa or anarchists or, and look, there's not that many anarchists in America. In America. 
Right. I, like, I, They're fucking up everything. I've, but there's only five of I them. I, I grew up yeah. in a town that had an anarchist bookstore. You know, and it was like the only oh, one really? in the entire South that was like an anarchist bookstore, I believe. And the same eight dudes my entire life who hung out there, you know, and I saw them get they're like, super They're old. really nice. And they're yeah. not violent whatsoever, right? Yeah. yeah. They, <laughs> they just want to listen to their bands, you know, and they just want to talk. Right. They just want to talk to you about like some dumb theory they have, you know, and they're, and, um, they're not people who are uh, and they're also all old. I feel like all the right. actual anarchists are like in their 60s now, you know, or, or older. And so... Um, <laughs> I don't know. Like it, that does seem to be the narrative that's shaking out of this now, though, right? Yeah, like yeah. it's this, like sort of like I think if you're if you're white or if you're not black, then you should not be doing anything. And and it, it's strange to me. The the officials. So did the did anyone in I don't know if anyone in DC said this, but I've read it. Like I said, many, both the Minneapolis and the St. Paul government said these were outside agitators. Uh, the local, I think, news station did a did an investigation and found that 80% of the people arrested were actually from the Minnesota area, which begs the question or raises the question of, like, what do they mean by outside? Um, mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, if they could just be lying to, you know, bolster their cause and to make it sound like, you know, our community loves us and this was, like, you know, outside agents infiltrating. Or B, maybe their notion of outside is something like you were saying, like, they're white and therefore they don't count because this is a black protest and it's a black issue. Yeah. Uh, but then you have like, you know, some liberals on social media, like for instance, uh, not to just, I'll just call it this person because they're very famous, but I also respect her work a lot. Nicole Hannah Jones was saying like, this is, uh, we, sh- we shouldn't let like white people overtake what is a black issue. And to me, that is like, if you want, this is a majority white country. If you want the death of black people to change the system change the country, then why would you self-limit this to only black people in the country? Then mm-hmm. you're basically saying that like, the majority white parts of the country can ignore this, right? So like what to me, like I, I understand the sentiment, of course, that you don't want people to take like non-black people to take the narrative out of the hands of black people. But then yeah. there's a sort of like uh like sort of uh you're just sort of taking the edge out of the argument, right? That that this somehow strikes at the very heart of what America is built upon, that the United States, that racism is like endemic to the entire United States system and therefore everyone who is a U.S. citizen should care about this. Um, so when mm-hmm. you draw those lines, you're kind of undercutting that premise, right? Yeah, it's similar to 19... 19- hey. I, I understand where the thought is coming from. So you look at the 1968 anti-war protests, right? A lot of the stuff that we talked about with Mike Davis and the Third World Liberation Front started because everybody was mad because they would go to these anti-war protests and it was just a bunch of white dudes, you know, and they were they're pretty shitty and racist. And so they start their own organizations, these different groups, right? And and that's what people don't want. They don't want white people to speak over them all the time. And um, now the irony that I see in all of this is that I don't, I did not see that happening throughout any of this stuff, you know? And what they're basically saying is that if white people are going around smashing stuff, then that is a distraction from the thing that actually is, uh, this is about, which is the death of George Floyd and, you know, police violence against black people. Uh, But I think that by, I actually don't think that that, it works that way. I don't think when people see a burning building, they think, oh, it's about the burning building now. I think they just think, oh, that building is burning because people are really mad about George Floyd, you know? And I think the thing that does make it about white people is when you say 
only white people are doing this, you know, which is not true, you know? And mm-hmm. I think that it's almost, it's, I, I actually find it really problematic to say that it's only white people doing this sort of stuff because it means that you have taken all the agency out of the violence itself, you know, and you've neutralized it all. And like, why would you do that? You know, like, especially yeah. if it's not true. And so uh, I don't know, the, the big irony that I just see is that like by saying outside agitators, which is, you know, what George Wallace said about freedom summer you know like or like about the freedom riders you know like just the history of that term in the united states during the civil rights movement is crazy it's like oh well we killed these two guys these two jewish guys who came down to mississippi to help people you know during freedom summer they were outside agitators it doesn't matter like that's the history of that phrase and now it's being used by like Ilhan Omar put it in her press release today. You know, it's just like mind-boggling to really? me. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, what, what, what did Omar say? She said, "These are outs- we have to locate these outside agitators, so please stay home wow. tonight, you know? Wow. Um, oh, my goodness. It's crazy. And well, it's so bizarre, too, because it's basically like, well, I don't, she's, I don't know what's going on with her because she's not a liberal, but I was saying... I, what, from what I've observed, it's mostly like liberals picking up on and essentially parroting what like the governor of Minnesota yeah, and, and Trump have been yeah, saying. And Barr. Which is that there's this, yeah, and Barr, which is that there are these sort of, and they're not as specific, right? Because they want it to be very vague and scary, but these kind of like shadowy outside figures coming in to like fuck up our cities. And they're, you know, and then I think the way that liberals are reading it in their way of being sort of, with some apologies, but not very many, like performatively woke is like, oh, so we're talking about like the white kids who were like wear all black and have chains and like come to protests and are like really aggressive. That's bad because we need to always be like elevating black voices. And like, first of all, like, were you even at these protests? Because you're very busy on Twitter today, you know, and like, I think, you know, they're at the organizing level there. If you talk, I, I agree that like, it's good to have black leadership in a Black Lives Matter movement. But the black leaders who are strategic in that movement aren't like white people don't come to this. No, I, no. They're like everyone come well, to this. Yeah, so sure. it's so ridiculous. Well, I mean. This is what the this is where I feel like, you know, the where I go crazy about it because if you have any familiarity yeah. with these organizers, if you have any familiarity with these protests, that type of purity politics that uh, liberal media people do, it does not exist in those spaces. They does want not as exist. many people there as possible, you know? And guess what? Right. Yes. At every single protest, there is some sketchy white dude there who nobody knows who's doing some <laughs> fucked up shit. <laughs> <laughs> like, For literally sure. every single one, you know? Yeah. There was one like last in night the Garden of I was Eden. walking around with a baseball like... bat and I was like, that fucking guy, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> I feel like I've seen him. <laughs> All the time, you know, and then later, I, you know, you see him and you're like, oh, I bet that guy is, you know, the one that's smashing this thing, right? Like, it exists. Like, nobody <laughs> is saying that this doesn't exist. Sure. But it yeah. is part of the calculation that when you build, put a big event out, that this will happen, you know, and that that mm-hmm. sometimes it is only that guy that is doing the fucked up shit that everyone gets pissed off about. And it is true that if there's a reaction to that fucked up shit that the black community feels that, Right. But that's not what is happening nationally here, you know, and it almost feels like a response, like a rote response that liberals understand gets them points, you know, like it's the right thing to say, quote unquote. But in this instance, it's really not, you know, I really like pegging, like you saw the images of what happened in the third precinct police mm-hmm. station and you saw you know you saw the people who who were standing outside of it did that look like a bunch of white supremacists to anybody 
Wait, I didn't see yeah, a white person. So confused. <laughs> <No>. Yeah. Where <laughs> is the white supremacy thing coming from? That they're white? It was like, like a it was like crazy. a Benetton ad, you know? There's like people of every single <laughs> it's like it was like a revolution uh, Benetton ad. People of every single race. So then what <laughs> there was that Bangladeshi restaurant owner tweet that went oh, viral. Yeah, about, like, that was so sweet. I know that made me tear up. I, I sent it to my Bangladeshi friend. He also said he got emotional. <laughs> Same. But, uh, Do you want to explain it again, Andy? Just in case uh, people haven't seen it. Yeah, so the, restaurant, the restaurant was called, I think, Gandhi Mahal. But uh, you know, ironically, it's named after Gandhi, but they're Bangladeshi uh, Muslim immigrants. And a woman named Ruhel, who was 18, Tweeted or had a Facebook or is post. Is it Ruhel's it's daughter? It's a daughter, yeah. It's the owner's daughter, yeah. Ruhel's right, 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 daughter, exactly. I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, no, I don't. Okay. Well, whatever. We can fact check this later. <laughs> uh, the daughter said that even though her father's restaurant was burning, her father was okay with it because mm. you can you can rebuild a restaurant, but you can't rebuild a man's life, and justice has to be served. Oh my gosh. I know, and it was like it's so it's like it's it's very Getting touching. Yeah, again. and guess what and, happens when you say every single thing was done by white supremacists? You erase all of that. You know, you erase totally all of it, and you do this scary, dumb story that I think is going to be written five thousand times by the same people who write alt right stories for the past five years, like writing total bullshit. You know, and they're gonna they're gonna <laughs> write these oh the scary boogaloo army or whatever is coming to your town. And every the whole point of every single protest, like all of that, all of that righteous anger, like all the things that were done, are going to evaporate, and people are just talk about the alt right again. And guess what? That's that's talking about fucking white people, you know. And this has been driving me absolutely insane the last like two days because it, or last day, because there's no evidence for it. First of all, you know. Secondly, yes, did those people come? Of course they did. They come to every single protest. They always fuck shit up. Everybody knows that if you've been to a protest. Three, if you're the person who is commenting on this, maybe you should have gone to protest so that you know that, you know, instead of talking in this like ridiculous woke code about everything and and pretending like and then sneering at everybody who doesn't get it, you know, like it's, it's anyway, whatever. That's enough of my rant. Oh, the other thing, I, the, the other the other kind of um, parallel thing I was thinking about was for the people who want to make the argument that this is about nothing more than protesting George Floyd's death. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think it's I th- my suspicion is that a lot of those people also are, are uncomfortable they just like personally are uncomfortable with broader systemic critiques mm-hmm. of you can call it capitalism whatever the system something broader than um, this particular incident but if you think about it if the if all of this was just about the death of George Floyd then would the government sacrifice the three you know the one police officer or the four police officers and say okay we prosecuted him and it's over. And that that type of particular demand is very easy to meet and assimilate and yeah. accommodate. And no, and everything will just, you know, everyone's going to wake up tomorrow and nothing will, will change. Um, and maybe that's exactly what these people want, right? Like, it should be about this particular death and nothing more than that because, you know, like, you know, the other person who tweeted this was Joy Reid. And I always get the sense that she always wants to stop any broader change from happening, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, whereas the fact that this one man's death in Minneapolis is, spur- is sparking protests throughout every major urban area in the United States is actually quite inspiring because it seems to be uh, the case that people are making connections and that it isn't just about one man's death. It's about a broader system or a broader you know, s- set of patterns that made his one death possible, but also many other injustices possible that people yeah. are feeling very um, viscerally over the last couple months. And um, I think that's what we would want. That's that's heartening for me to see. 
And that seems to be exactly what's kind of freaking out the people who so. who who are who are upset that it's more that it that people are kind of they claim they're changing the topic. I don't think they're changing the topic. I think they're thinking metaphorically, right? Or me- they're extending. Well, they're just, exactly. yeah. I think they're scared. Well, right. I, the people who want to contain the conversation. The people who want to contain the conversation and the people who are telling people to go home because, you know, there's white supremacists around, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I think they're scared. And I will say, it is fucking Definitely. wild that, that a bunch of kids overtook a police precinct and burned it. Like, I have yeah. never seen that. <laughs> like, that yeah. in the, in the United States. I mean, that amazing. is crazy. I know. I was going to say, not in the U.S. <laughs> yeah. That seems like some, like, Asian or Latin American Latin shit Latin American, right there. for sure. <laughs> I have to say, though, like, Andy, to your, to your question, like, w- the most exciting data point to me so far out of Minnesota is that the Minneapolis schools mm-hmm. discontinued their contract mm-hmm. with the Minneapolis-St. Paul Police. That, to me, is even more shocking than the prosecution of the k- killer cops. And so did yeah. the University that, of, Mich- of Minnesota. Yeah. Oh, and right. And so that's, um, that is amazing. Yeah. And that is the product yeah. of this five yeah. to 10 years of organizing. That is like, having police and schools is so ingrained in our system. Yeah. Like, I, I'm, I was completely blown away. And I think that's going to lead to similar things in other cities. Like, that's so exciting. And that cuts to the capitalism yeah. built into policing. There was the, also the example of the transport worker unions refusing to cooperate, but I guess that dates back to Occupy, yeah. right? I don't understand why you would want everything to be just about George Floyd anyway. You know, like today, like uh, Kathy Park Hong, who is a very well-known Asian writer, you know, was, was just tweeted at me because I was tweeting about how I think that outside agitators is a terrible phrase to use, you know? And she just said, uh, you know, the people that I talk to who are in Minnesota want this to be about George Floyd and we shouldn't, um, we shouldn't just make it about, uh, we shouldn't make it about anything else other than George Floyd. And I'm like, well, why would you want it to only be about George Floyd? You know, like, I think that, like, why would you not want it to extend to questioning the systems that created that type of death, you know, that allowed it so mm-hmm. that people are so skeptical that were so angry that anything would ever happen, you know, like why, why, like, why are all these people out there if they think this cop is just going to go to jail? They think they're out there because they think he's not going to go to jail, you know, and until they started yeah. breaking shit, he wasn't going to go because the prosecutor said that there's right. no evidence to show that that it was like that. And it could also be that he ends up getting off anyway because of these autopsy reports that are showing that they he's not, do. you know, that, <laughs> that the neck on the knee isn't what causes death, which is fucking crazy you know right and so um at some point when things go beyond that at some point when people are like okay like let's go after the cnn building you know because it is a symbol mm-hmm. of something and um in oakland you know these are the kids but saying like let's every single bank got hit you know in downtown oakland uh that's a different mm-hmm. that is an extension wow. of it but it's still about george floyd you know it's just about Absolutely. the system that created this so if you're talking about systemic racism as a buzzword you know like that's what this is one thing that we do every show is uh we try and talk about things that are a little international and you know i think in this instance it's actually very relevant because there's been a lot of talk about russia which i think we can kind of you know roll our eyes at a little bit you know but there is also a very interesting question about how china feels about this and and how china is using this like massive unrest in the United States to further their own aim. So Andy, like what have, what have you been seeing? 
Yeah, so what I've been seeing in like my corner of social media, which is like China Watchers, China Hands, they are sort of con- concern trolling. I don't know what their what actual thoughts are. <laughs> Chinese yeah, concern. Yeah. concern C- CCP concern <laughs> trolling. What, yeah, what does that look like? That, that, that like these protests are playing into the hands of foreign governments who want to undermine and delegitimize America as, um, you know, the legitimate leader of the world or whatever. Um, and it's true that these Chinese um, sort of mouthpiece uh, institutions like the Global Times, which is the English language version of uh, <laughs> uh, of Chinese media, is saying that they're sort of claiming that the United States is hypocritical for supporting the Hong Kong protesters, but also suppressing their own protesters. Uh, but there's an obvious contradiction there because obviously the Chinese government is also like if you take it to its logical extreme, then the Chinese government, if they're going to support the American protesters, right. should also be supporting the Hong Kong protesters. Right? <laughs> exactly. There's this weird contradiction that's going on with, like a, a conservative U.S. person would say something like, Hong Kong protests are good, Minneapolis protests are bad. And then a tanky would say, right, a sort of like um, uncritical, anti-American, imperial, anti-imperialist, anti-American person would say, Hong Kong protests are bad, Minneapolis protests are good. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's an obvious contradiction. Yeah, it's very funny. Right. Yeah. And it's kind of yeah, it's funny to watch this on on social media play out where people are just kind of have these two contradictory thoughts at once without letting them like uh, you know touch each other and explode or something. Right. Like these two realities. <laughs> um, uh, and the, the, but what I was thinking was with all this outside agitator stuff is like I think it's potentially possible. I don't want to like make predictions that having precisely those contradictions on the table is good uh, in the sense that it could kind of lay bare how ridiculous the U.S. Mm. government's position is uh, regarding their own protesters, but also regarding what they claim is upholding human rights abroad, right? Like if they care so much about human rights for Hong Kong protesters or the Xinjiang prisoners in China, which, you know, I'm all for, right? Um, That that kind that will potentially I'm all for that kind of criticism. Then that logically by the letter of, of the law or by, by holding them to their word should also mean the United States government supports the protesters of the United States and are against police violence in both places. Well, what if they... Well, what, what about... If, is there a chance that they just... Like, isn't their logical conclusion then that they just like... They're like, well, we don't care about the... We don't care about the Hong Kong protesters either. They... Well, they're, they're still... So what happened yesterday, which is very bizarre, right after uh, Derek Chauvin... It's announced that he has um, been taken into custody and charged with manslaughter thir- or third-degree murder. Trump gives a press conference where he doesn't even mention this. Yeah, it's all about China, yeah. yeah. Right, and, and he's talking so about weird. how he's trying to use Hong Kong as a bargaining chip to punish China uh, by saying that the Chinese, this new Chinese law that is suppressing freedom of speech in Hong Kong is now justification for the United States to kind of to end their special relationship with Hong Kong and what he's trying to do is kind of kind of like uh, once again kind of like start a trade war with China. Uh, so yeah, I mean like obviously Trump isn't reliable to stand with the people other people anywhere you know around the world much less you know the people of <laughs> yeah. Hong Kong. That that is one option. The other option is like the United States government and Chinese government are both so successful at political messaging that they're able to kind of float this balance. The Chinese government's take is that their whole, what they're doing in Hong Kong is all about stability. And they're so good at maintaining stability in Hong Kong 
and look at the United States, they're really bad at maintaining stability because they let mm -hmm. the third precinct police station get lit on fire. That's a um, weird, so that's a strange tightrope to walk. Does, exactly. does it work? I mean, because here in the United States, you know, like, I, I don't know, you don't have to read that much. You know, you just have to read like the shock doctrine basically to know of all the, or maybe manufacturing consent or something to know about all the ways in which there's completely contradictory right. messaging all the time that just does kind of work. Right. Does that work in China? Right. <laughs> oh, I think it works there better than here for sure. The, the, I mean, the thing I was thinking was, I think there's actually a historical precedent for international, for if the rest of the world pays attention to Black Lives Matter or these protests, that's good. Um, so like- Definitely. Right, like, so like yeah. the Joy Reeves of the world or basically the Democrats for the last four years have freaked out that the rest of the world um, was like paying attention to criticisms of Hillary Clinton. And they were basically saying, this is outside interference, this is Russiagate, et cetera. Uh, but historically, the one thing I was, I was kind of discussing with you guys offline before was, there's a pretty commonly accepted argument among American historians now that part of the big push for the civil rights movement was the fact that the United States was embarrassed by the USSR constantly pointing out how poorly they treated yeah. black people. Yeah. And yeah. so it was, it was cynical, but it was effective that the United States decided that, that a big push for the Civil Rights Act, for instance, was to kind of shore up their legitimacy as leader of the free world, mm -hmm. especially facing towards uh, African, decolonized African countries, right? And this is something Mike Davis was talking about a couple of weeks ago. I was just gonna say, right? yeah. Yeah, like David, and I think this is kind of Davis's point that right. if you don't have, the United States basically got lazy the last 20 years. They didn't have to yeah. prove to anyone around the world that you should listen to them. They just could use brute force and say, what are you gonna do, listen to Russia, right? Like that. Or, or China, right. right? That the Cold War was productive in certain ways by having a check on U.S. Exactly. values. Yeah, and so it's I, you know, it's interesting, though. I think, like, coronavirus has totally. delegitimated the U.S., right? Like, even to Democrats, they need to grapple with the fact that, you know, like, I was mad about, like, Nicholas Kristof's framing the other day because I'm always mad at him. Right. But, like, he's, like, <laughs> just so good at, like, crystallizing that view that I hate. Mm -hmm. That's like, oh, my God, America, we can't even do something as good as Vietnam, yeah. you know. <laughs> but that, you know, we're we're all having to deal with that now, you know, Americans who are so proud of America. Yeah. But I was going to ask you, Andy, like, in 2014, that was the Umbrella Movement. Mm -hmm. So did China at all, like make the same argument because that was when Black Lives Matter was also rising, that there was yeah. uprising in Hong Kong. But of course, China wasn't quite as aggressive toward Hong Kong as it is now. Do you remember whether they were propagandizing that yeah, movement they've, too? They've always, I think they've always made that argument. This goes back to, again, the 60s that sure, yeah. China, when during the Mao period, made overtures to the third world African countries by saying that we are a project of liberation and egalitarianism and decolonization and the United right. States and Western Europe, they're the ones um, who, who, who caused all that to begin with. Now, the Chinese Communist Party today, I would say, is completely different and they would like to use that third worldist language to, uh, to, to shore up their legitimacy, but they are obviously not anything like the, yeah. like the party of Mao from 40 years ago. But I think that... Um, I, I don't know. I, I just feel like these, putting these contradictions on the table and having the co constant comparisons between how imperfect the Chinese state is and how imperfect the United States is is actually potentially good for us as leftists who mm -hmm. want to see change. And it shouldn't be the case that we like get defensive and double down on American exceptionalism, which is what the Democrats have done for the last four years, right? With all this Russiagate stuff. Um, like yeah. maybe the best way to address the fact that I guess if Russia 
put all these Facebook ads about how Hillary Clinton used the word super predator. Maybe the best way to fix that is not to use the word super predator in the first place. <laughs> this, is the most, this is the most galaxy brain take I think we've had on, <laughs> had on the podcast so far. Russian interference good and we should listen, we should listen to like a bot farmer yeah, exactly. in Estonia's criticism yeah. of the Democratic Party. Look, I'm all for it. Look, I'm sure that that bot farmer in Estonia has no idea, you know, has no actual right, pure right, right. intentions, but right, right, he's right. probably right. If, if he says everything right. that the centrist Democrat <laughs> party is doing is wrong, then he might be right more than he's wrong. Um, but maybe he read New Jim Crow and right, was like, oh yeah, shit, yeah, super predator. <laughs> there it is. I mean, um, <laughs> it is interesting when you're thinking about it in the context of a coming Cold War, right? Which I think that we all think that is might happen and probably mm-hmm. will happen. That if mm-hmm. the messaging in China, which obviously given the fact that the story that we read, you know, and we talked about, about, uh, you know, African uh you know, migrant workers in Guangzhou having, you know, being really racistly abused there that, uh, you know, like if they start making a civil rights argument, if the United States falls further into, you know, the current, you know, if Trump wins again, for example, it would be an interesting argument. The USSR did that too, to a small extent, um, and was doing outreach to black Americans to come and live in the USSR. There was a recent This American Life about it that actually was quite good, I thought. Um, yeah, and so many wonderful intellectuals went there yeah. during that period, like Langston Hughes, famously. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, I would say, like, China today is completely different than even the USSR of the 60s No, I don't think 70s. China, I don't think anyone's going to move to China. <laughs> right, <laughs> except right. Stefan no- <laughs> Stephon Marbury. Stefan right. Marbury is, like, the one. <laughs> <laughs> or, yeah, or Ron Arquette. But there's no... Uh, there's, right. I mean, that's the other thing. The, 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 the cold water on the face is the fact that neither of these countries is idealistic. Right. Like Trump doesn't even pretend to be the leader of the free world. And yeah, I guess China in a cynical way is trying to be, but they, they're ideal. They have no ideals either. So, you know, I don't know. Maybe we're, we live in the yeah. worst. Well, world and it possible. won't be, as we've discussed before, it won't be the classic cold war. It'll be because nobody can completely extricate themselves from either. Right. Right, right. But I guess the general point is, like, I saw on Twitter today, like, in Belgium and in, in Japan, people took it. There were protests. Yeah, I saw the one in Japan. Yeah. Right. Like, quasi in solidarity with what's going on in the United States. And I was like, yeah, this is good. Right. Like, this is not Very... ba- this is not bad. This is we should. <laughs> I don't know if shame is the right word, but we should we should use this as a moment to where the United States is like, like in terms of like silver linings, say, like the United States has kind of. I think it's probably in its, in definitely in our lifetimes, right? Has is kind of the has the lowest reputation mm-hmm. that I can think of internationally. Definitely, and maybe that would force something to happen. It could also go like terribly wrong. Grazie. Io vorrei il maestro Candrelli qui.